This is the Stand with Lynette podcast. You have episode 48, Learning to Trust the Lord with Mandy Collins. What would your life be like if you knew you could stand firmly on the covenant path, come what may? My name is Lynette Shepard, and I am here to help you do just that. If you are a Latter-day Saint woman with a desire to brighten your faith as the world grows darker, you are in the right place. Together, let's stand. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome back to Stand with Lynette. I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm excited to introduce you to my friend Mandy Collins for this fabulous interview that I'm going to share with you today. But before we do that, I wanted to remind you that my purpose with this podcast every week when I publish an episode is to help you stand a little more firmly on the covenant path, a little more closely yoked to the Savior Jesus Christ. My purpose is always to point you to Him. Hopefully I can be as the song from the 90s that I still remember and still think about sometimes. I think it was from the 90s. It was back when I was in college, but it was called A Window to His Love. And I want to be a window to the Savior's love for you. So I hope that that's what you get out of this podcast today and always. A little peek into the Savior's love for you. And I hope to help you have a desire to develop a firmer, more working relationship with him, whatever that looks like for you, wherever you are on the covenant path. We're all at different places and that's totally okay. If you feel like you need a little bit of help getting that relationship grounded and solid, getting your spiritual habits in place that will help to support you, the spiritual habits that President Nelson has talked to us about since he became the prophet. I have a program for you. It's called Shine 40. It's now available all, all of the time. It's a 40-day challenge that you get to work through with a buddy of your choice. It comes with a free buddy pass and you can work through this 40-day challenge that will help you to cement these spiritual habits that maybe you've been thinking about doing but haven't quite gotten to yet. This program will help you, my friends. I truly believe that these habits are life-changing because I've experienced that life-changing aspect of them in my life. So if you're interested in that, I'll throw a link in the show notes. Thank you again for even listening to me talk about it and being here for this podcast. And now, without any further ado, let's get to this interview with my friend, Mandy Collins. Hello, friends. I am so excited to introduce you today to my friend, Mandy Collins, who is here to share her story with us. I know a little bit about it, not very much. I'm excited to hear more. I know it's going to be super interesting and beneficial for those of us who are listening. So welcome, Mandy. I'm so happy that you're here with me. Thank you. I'm so happy to be on your podcast and sharing my story and hopefully inspiring those who have challenges with kids with medical problems. <laughs> oh, okay. So we're going to talk about some medical challenges today. This is something that I haven't had yet on the podcast. So I'm excited to hear your story. But can you just tell us, first of all, a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah. So um, I grew up in a family of four girls and um, myself, I'm married and have a son and a daughter. Um, my son is 18, almost 19 next month or this at the end of this month, actually. And then my daughter is six. And um, and yeah, we live in Canada and we love it here. So we I grew up in my husband and I grew up in Calgary and 
um, we moved to Raymond in 2006 and we've been here ever since. So we love it here and we wouldn't change it for the world. <laughs> I, I really do want to go up there and visit sometime. I hear it's yeah. just beautiful, but maybe not in the winter because I'm yeah. a wimp. <laughs> you don't come in the winter, come in the summer. <laughs> I am a wimp. I need it is very cold dry. in the winter, but I actually love winter so much. And I always get teased for it because everybody, most people hate it up here. And when I worked at a place, everybody would always be like, oh, here comes Mandy and she's in love with winter. And I like, I love winter enough for all the people that hate it. <laughs> What? I just really? love it. <laughs> so what do you love about it? What is so exciting about winter for you? I think for me, like, I, I just don't like being hot because I'm like, when you're hot, you can only take off so much before it becomes inappropriate. <laughs> That's true. But in the wintertime, you can like put more layers on. And I just love like, I have all these great childhood memories of like sledding and building forts in our front yard. And just we always played outside in the wintertime. And just all the fun memories. And, and I remember there was a time where I wasn't, I didn't love winter as much. But um, after I, we had Tanner, I remember going to the zoo up, up in Calgary, they have these zoo lights. And so the whole zoo has like these beautiful lights and, and whatever. And I remember going and it was like, snowing so beautifully and I felt this is what perfection feels like because it, it just was snowing perfectly and I literally felt like I was in a snow globe and I was like I love winter <laughs> it is really beautiful yes. I will give you that I love looking at the snow from the inside of the house yes <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't love that it gets too it. cold you know you just like dress up in your snow pants and whatever and my daughter really loves the winter too so <laughs> that's nice he takes after to her mom. That's awesome. Okay. So Tanner is your son and yeah. he is the one who kind of set on, set you on this journey, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he, um, so we've been trying to, um, get pregnant for a little while and wasn't happening. And so, um, I found out actually that I was pregnant the day that, um, the fertility clinic had called, like my OBGYN had referred me to a specialist and uh, to a fertility clinic and they called the day I found out. So that was super exciting. And, um, and so when we went to our first ultrasound, I, they at the end of the ultrasound they had said oh we're, we're just going to get the doctor to come have a look and you know see the ultrasound and I just got this pit feeling in my stomach and I was like oh something's not right and so the doctor had come in and he said you know we think that your baby um uh, has a cleft lip and I didn't even I'd never even heard of that and so I didn't have any clue what that was and so um after the appointment, my husband and I uh, looked up what a cleft lip is. And, um, and I was like, oh, oh like, you know, the, it ranges from like, small to like major, right. And I thought, okay, like, obviously, they know what they're doing. And, um, and then I kept having ultrasounds just to make sure that every, like my fluid levels were up and everything. And at the second ultrasound, we found out that we were having a boy. And for me, I felt at that time that that was more devastating because I have sisters. I have no brothers. So I was like, what do I do with a boy? <laughs> I can so, handle the cleft palate. Just give me a girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but then I talked to a friend and she said, you know, like, 
um, having a boy with cleft lip is probably better because you could always chalk it. He could always chalk it up to like an injury, right? If it's something that's super noticeable. And I thought, oh yeah, that's true. You know? And so anyway, so then throughout my whole pregnancy, it was sort of one thing after the other. Um, it felt like every time I went, there was something else that, that was wrong. And then he, they found spots on his kidney, the, the next ultrasound. And, and so they said, we won't be able to tell what they are until, you know, he's born. And then we went another, the, the next time there were spots on his second kidney. And then we went again and the spots on the second kidney had disappeared. And unbeknownst to me, I had no clue until after Tanner was even born that my family had had this huge family fast. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I was like, that was sort of like the first thing for me that was super significant in that. Um, it showed me just how powerful other people fasting for me was. Yeah. And so, um, I was really grateful for that. That was such a blessing. And then, um, after he was born, it just ended up that the spots on his kidney, like the one kidney wasn't working. And so the body just basically essentially ate the kidney itself. So he's only got the one kidney, but it didn't, it wasn't harmful for him. Wow. And so that was, you know, I was really grateful for that. And the, the kidney specialist had said a person can live their life, uh, on one half of a kidney. So even if the good kidney kind of went bad, he, he'd still be okay. So well, that's a miracle in and of itself that that yeah. one kidney is perfectly functioning. I know. I like, why are we born with two? If we can do it on one. <laughs> <laughs> so we can like donate a backup them to organ, the right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so yeah. And then, um, after he was born, we found some other, um, abnormalities. So he was born with cleft lip and cleft palate. And we knew that before he was, he was born, that he was going to be born with that. And, um, and then, um, so can you so, explain what, what is cleft lip and palate for those who maybe don't know oh, what it so is? Cleft lip, uh, and palate just means that when he was born, his lip, um, wasn't joined together. It was open and same with the, the inside of his palate. It was, it was open. And again, like I said earlier, it, it varies to different degrees, but his was like completely split open. And so you could see right up in in his palate because it was split open too you could see right up into his nasal cavity oh, wow. and so um they they fixed it you know but um we didn't know you know to what severity it was going to be until after he was born and so um and for me I think that was like a, a little nerve-wracking after he was first born because I, I kind of felt scared to take him out because I I didn't want to be that person that had the baby that looked different and was like this gawking show, right. Where people, you know, would kind of look at him, but then probably about two weeks after I eventually brought him home, cause he was in the hospital for 10 days. I thought, you know what? It just doesn't matter. Like it just doesn't matter. And this also gives me an opportunity to explain what this is because he's not the only kid in the world that has been born with a cleft lip and palate and then people will know you know like right. this is okay like he's okay and so um I remember our first outing we went to build a bear and I got him like this little bear <laughs> so that's so cute <laughs> but um yeah so then we just like when he was born there were other things that had happened like um 
the bones in his head had fused together prematurely. So like normally um, when a baby is delivered, they're like the bones kind of overlap and then they come out. But Tanner was like full headed. So Mm -hmm. they had kind of that's why the babies have the soft spots. And so um, he had to have surgery for that. And then um, he was born with a a thing called uh, hemolytic disease of the newborn, where his body wasn't breaking down his bilirubin level. And so his levels were up in like the 500s and they should be like 120 or less. Oh, wow. And so he had to have this blood transfusion. And um, I think for me, that was like the scariest because as the, the NICU doctor explained it to me, I was like, I, I just didn't understand because what they do is they take out the blood. They had to, they had to take out two thirds of his blood and put new blood in and kind of like simultaneously. And so um, I was like, how do you do that? Right? Like, how do you like keep a person alive right. and take out their blood and put new blood in? but they have this machine that just kind of does it. And so, um, I remember asking them because I, I was so afraid that he would die. I asked the nurse, I said, or the doctor, I said, could this, could this kill him? And she said, I've never lost a baby doing a transfusion like this, but she said, I'm, I'm never going to say never. And for me, that's what I needed. Right. I just needed like, and even now, like, just lay your cards out on the table and tell me worst case scenario so that if it is worst case scenario, I don't feel like I'm blindsided. Right. And I think, you know, it reminds me too of like in the scriptures, like the Lord just lays out the plan. Right. And he tells you, if you don't follow the plan, this is what's going to happen sort of thing. Right. And I, that's one thing that I really love about the scriptures is that, you know, it tells us, it doesn't leave us blind in what the consequences or what the, you know, thing is going to be if we don't follow the commandments sort of thing. Right. And, um, cause I'm very much like that. Just don't sugarcoat. <laughs> right. I want to know what I'm getting into. Yeah. 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 So, and also the good, right. Like the blessings and yeah. stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, so he had the procedure and then, and everything went fine. And then he had to have a secondary transfusion, but it wasn't as major. Um, you know, it was just, it was minor. And, uh, and so, yeah, it just like, he has taught me as a mother so much, you know, just about faith and prayer and, um, patience, you know, because all I wanted was to be able to take him home. And I had to wait, we had to wait for them to run all their tests and to figure out if there was anything else sort of going on to make sure that he was healthy enough for me to take home. And, um, and so it's just for me, whenever I think about or feel like I'm doubting my faith, or I'm struggling, I just think about that, that time in my life where the Lord placed that trial before me and allowed me to have that faith and allowed me to grow during that time, um, to a way that, um, I'll be eternally grateful for because it taught me so much. So how old were you at that time? Um, I was, so actually I found out I was pregnant on my 24th birthday. So I was 24. 
So still so young. Yeah. And yeah. How long... And he was my first. So Right. I know. I'm just trying to process this because I have five and I mean, they're all, they were all born healthy, but I'm just trying yeah. to process. You tried so hard and waited so long for a baby. And then yeah. that must have been terrifying yeah. to not know what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, and my doctor was really good in that he just said, cause I got to a point right at the end of my pregnancy where I was like, do you even know, like, have you ever delivered a baby that was born with cleft lip and palate? And he, again, he was very honest and he said, I, I have, and sometimes it can be really tricky and difficult because for whatever reason, sometimes they there's just other things, you know, involved with a cleft lip and and palate baby that you have to be aware of, you know, and I, I had several teams of people in the room while he, I was delivering him like a respiratory team and a couple of other team members, you know, members from different um, areas of the hospital, um, just so that if anything went wrong, every, you know, everything that they thought could possibly go wrong, there were people there ready so that if it did go wrong, they were right there. And so, um, and even after he was born, like they took him right away, just it, you know, to look at him and whatever. And so I didn't get to hold him right away. It wasn't until about 10 minutes later that I got to hold him. And, um, and, you know, like I always wondered about that first time of holding him. Cause everyone's like, I shouldn't say everyone, but there's people that are like, Oh, it's such a great experience. Like you'll bond with them right away as soon as they lay you on him. And other people are like, it won't happen for, you know, it doesn't always happen right away. And when they gave him to me, it felt awkward because I didn't know what to expect. And so I didn't have that bond with him until actually a little bit later that evening. And I had gone back into the, the NICU where he was and, um, and I was holding him and I was like, do you know who I am? I'm your mother or I'm your mom. And he looked up at me and legitimately smiled. Aww. And I was like, oh, and right then I was like, this is it. This is the moment. This is the feeling that people are uh, talk about where you just know. Right. And I just knew that I was meant to be his mom. Yeah. So, what a gift. Yeah. And he's, he's a happy kid. He's like, We've been really lucky because I think like he's had so many um, challenges in terms of like, he's had a lot of surgeries and, and whatnot. And, um, and he's just, he's a happy kid. Like he, he, he ate good. He slept good from day one. Um, so yeah, we've been really, really blessed in that way. Cause I think because of his challenges and him being in the hospital so much and kind of like manhandled by other people, he could just have been a really clingy like kid and he's not, you know, he, he loves people. And so. But. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So he's, you said almost 19 now. Yeah. He'll be 19 on the 21st this month. So 19 on the 21st. <laughs> so what has it been like for you to raise a child who has a lot of medical needs and they're in and out of the hospital and in and out of surgeries. What has it been like for you? So at first it was, it, you know, I feel like I was just kind of like 
on automatic mode, right? It just became sort of like very robotic because I'd go to these appointments and they'd say, oh, he, he needs to do, he needs to have this. And after he was born, when we found out that he had some of these other challenges, they were like, this is what's going to have to happen, you know? And so um, for me, I'm very much a planner. And so that was really hard for me not to be able to say, oh, at this time in his life, he'll have surgery because there were certain things that he had to have. Um, for example, when he had his cleft palate surgery, he had his hemoglobin was a little bit low. And so his hemoglobin had to come up higher for them in order for them to do the surgery. And for me, that was frustrating because I was like, oh, at three months, he'll have his cleft lip fixed. At six months, he'll have his cleft palate fixed. And because I was trying to plan my life and organize my life. It was hard because they were like, no, his hemoglobin's not up. So we have to wait. And I was like, but for how long? And they were like, we just have to wait for his hemoglobin to come up. So that was a bit stressful. But um, after a while, it just became, it just became, uh, you know, our life, you know, and after he had stopped having surgery, you know, I, I was grateful that I was able to just have him and be a mom and focus on him and not have to, what I felt, share him with the doctors, right? And so, um, but I just knew that this was part of our life and um, I just tried to trust in the process and know that um, all these surgeries were for his good and they were going to help him. They were going to make him you know, more physically whole than what he was. That would be hard for me too, because yeah. I want to know what's going to happen next. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, would be, that would be really hard to just trust in the process, like you said. But what yeah. did you learn about trusting in the Lord through that process? So when he had to have braces, for example, he, we were told that the cleft um, clinic initially when he was born we were told the cleft clinic was going to pay for a big chunk of it and then it ended up that they they only pay for a portion a much smaller portion than what I thought they were going to pay for it's still a huge amount but I I guess I was just under the impression that it would be sort of like a larger portion and so we when we found out that we had to pay for that that was very difficult for me because I I didn't understand how the Lord could have blessed us with Tanner and allowed us to be able to be his parents and him have these challenges and not be able to financially provide for him. Right. And so I just had to pray and just, you know, ask the Lord to help me to trust him and know that whatever was going to happen was going to be okay. And so, and it ended up, of course it was okay because then we found out that, you know, we could just pay our portion over, you know, a period of time. Whereas I thought that we were going to have to sort of pay it all out kind of upfront. And so um, for me, I think that was a blessing in um, or a, a lesson in learning to trust the Lord. And also too, when he had the, his blood transfusion for me, that was a huge act of trust 
in the Lord, because I just had to trust that whatever was going to be was going to be. And if he was going to die, then I had to trust that that's, he was only supposed to be here for a short time. Um, but thankfully he wasn't. And so, um, yeah, I'm, it's, I think that it's good to be able to learn to trust in the Lord because he sees the bigger picture. And sometimes the human nature in us wants to rush things along and we want to know everything, but sometimes we're not supposed to, I think, see those things or know those things right away for a reason. And so for me, I find I can reflect back and, and look back in retrospect and see what the blessings were and see why things were the way they were. But sometimes when you're in the, in that moment, when you're in that life situation or that trial, it's hard to really understand sometimes um, why you're in that trial or how it's going to work out. But like I say, the Lord sees the bigger picture. And sometimes we just have to have the patience to trust in him and because he knows the way. Yeah. And that is hard. That is hard for, I think, just based on our human nature and wanting to understand everything right now and wanting to see the big picture and how it's all going to work out. At least that's how I am. I want to know the end result. Just tell me everyone will get to the finish line okay. And then I will be able to navigate the messy part. But that's not how it works. We don't get to know the end from the beginning sometimes. And just putting those things that we can't see in the hands of a heavenly father who has the big picture, I think that is one of the hardest lessons that we have to learn here in mortality. Would you agree with that? Uh, 100%. Yeah. I think patience is such a hard thing. And I don't know if everybody has a hard time with patience because they want to see the end results, you know, but I think for me, like that's one of the biggest, you know, trials or things that I have a hard time with is like the patience because we do want to know the end. (laughs) Yeah. But that's not what we're supposed to do. That's what, you know, I think that's what the veil is for so that we can't see the end, you know, because we, then we can't see what's on the other side, you know, because we're supposed to be going through these trials so that we can become more like Christ and we can, um, we can trust more in heavenly father. And we're supposed to turn our lives more to Christ and follow the prophet and you know if we knew the end result i think it would almost be harder right because we would just know and so we're supposed to learn and grow and that's how we're supposed to learn and grow is is by the trials we go through yeah and just part of the journey is faith yeah you don't always get to to have the sure knowledge of how everything will turn out part of it is faith and learning to have faith in God and not know all the things. Yeah. Um, it's part of the messy journey, right? It's so true. So true. Yeah. So what is Tanner doing now? What, what is his life like at age 18 and almost 19? <laughs> um, so he's a service missionary right now. And so, um, he, uh, he lives here at home. And so he does, um, on Monday and Wednesdays are things he does, he does, um, his own schedule. So he kind of sets it up. It's kind of nice. Cause he can set it up to, um, his strengths and his interests and things he wants to do. Right. So, um, what he does isn't necessarily what all the other service missionaries in his district do. Cause there's about, 
uh, I want to say about eight or nine service missionaries in the district here. So in the area that we live and um, they all do um, the food bank in Lethbridge. Um, they all do the Bishop's storehouse. Um, it just depends on what day. So he does that. Um, he goes to two Institute classes. Um, he serves at the seniors lodge here. He serves lunch there. Um, he does family history. Um, he also serves in the temple on Friday night and Saturday mornings, which it was kind of funny when he had said that he wanted to do that. He talked to the temple president and, and the temple president said, you know, that's really ambitious. Cause like to come Friday night, Cause I think the shift is like two to nine or two to eight. And so he'd get home at nine and then he has to be back Saturday morning, you know, by seven o'clock. So he has to leave here at home at six. And so elder Collins was just like, no, I, I really want to do this. This is what I want to do. And so he's been, he's been really successful at it and he really loves it. That's, he really looks forward to that. And so, um, but if any time in his two year service mission, if he, doesn't want to do that he can change that right so it's nice that his schedule isn't completely set in stone he can kind of cater to what you know his life is at that time or whatever so that's awesome i think sometimes people view like oh if if my child has to do a service mission then that's like a step down what would you say to those people absolutely not i think I, it's funny because I, I shared on Sunday my testimony about missionary work because I, I didn't really expect it to be the way that it is, you know, like, um, our, when he was set apart, our stake president said, um, when he gets released or when he's getting close to being released, you're going to beg for him to stay on his mission. You like, because it will be such a great experience. And I thought, oh, okay, like, sure. But I could feel that like almost instantaneously, like within the first couple of days, I thought I never want this to end because the spirit in our home is so much different than when he was not a missionary, you know, and it, and it's not even something that I can like really truly put adequate words to, but it's just different. And there's just a light about him and I can see the growth in him um just so much it just feels like he's got a lot more growth in him than he has in the last you know even year like it's I think a service mission is equally important because um you're still serving locally and the people locally still need to have that example and they still um, need to have that love showed to them. Right. And if there weren't service missionaries, then, you know, it's kind of up to the community, but it's nice to have the service missionaries there so that they can work together and people who are not of our faith can see, um, just the simple things that our church does, you know, within the community. And it's not just a church of going to church and preaching. Right. And so, um, service is, is I think equally important as proselyting. So. I agree. I agree. I think that it's so good. I used to, um, I used to clean the temple 
bathrooms every Monday. Every Monday I would go and clean the bathrooms in the basement and the baptistry. And there were several service missionaries who cleaned the temple every Monday with me. And I loved seeing them. Like you said, they just have this light about them and they're excited to be doing what they're doing. And I think it's so great that there's an option for those kids who may not be able to serve proselyting missions to have that experience. Yeah. And that's true. Right. I, I like that you said that because I think up until they have, I don't know how long they've, I've never looked into this, but I don't know how long they've had service missions available, but I know there are some people who have not been able to serve missions for whatever reasons. And I always think that's kind of sad because I'm like, we should all be able to have at least an opportunity to do like a service mission. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I think it's such a blessing. It's so great to have him. And, and even Katie, I think has really, um, stepped up because she, she invites our little neighbor friends to church every week. And she's always, she's, she's already like a member missionary at six years old, because I think she sees her brother. Right. And so that's, that's really neat to watch too. So I'm just curious, but we had, my daughter is serving mission right now and she did the home MTC at our house for like a week and a half. And then she flew off to, to Provo and then to her mission in Washington. Um, but what is your life like with a child at home on a service mission? Does it adjust your schedule at all? Or do do they just kind of go along with what the family does? I'm just curious. Yeah, no, not necessarily because he has his own schedule. And so it it doesn't really, um, he just does what he wants to do. So like if he's home for supper, he has supper with us. But there's like when he's in Lethbridge on the two days that he's in Lethbridge, or even actually when he's at the temple too, um, he he eats there, right? So um, we don't kind of adjust our schedule to what his schedule is. He does his thing and we do our thing. And um, and yeah, and he didn't actually have to do like a home MTC. He did like, um, they just called it missionary training. So he just did it online for the first, I think three or four weeks because they don't, they don't um, teach, right? They're not considered teaching missionaries. And so they don't have to do that same training. I think that the proselyting missionaries do, like he can go with the missionaries and he can, um, he can talk about his feelings and whatever, but he can't like officially teach lessons, you know, with the missionaries. Cause that's not his missionary calling. It's to be a service missionary. Um, and, and that's fine for him. Like he wasn't, he wasn't upset or anything about that. Like it didn't, he wasn't sad. And we had kind of had a feeling that he would probably do a service missionary or be a service missionary. And, um, so yeah, so and if we go on vacation, he can come with us. He just has to let his mission president know. And um, he doesn't wear his badge um, as often as like the proselyting missionaries. So like if he's not doing service missionary stuff, he he can take he takes that badge off. And so if we were like on vacation or if we went swimming or something as a family, he just takes that badge off because he's not acting as a service missionary. He's just with us as part of our family. What a beautiful, flexible program for those, those missionaries. Yeah. Super flexible. 
I love that. That makes it easy on the families too. And like yes. you said, to be able to have that experience and watch him grow firsthand. Because my, yeah. my daughter right now is on a proselyting mission and I okay. get to watch that growth from afar, but I, I don't get to be involved in the day-to-day. -day. And so yeah. that's that's such a blessing for you yeah. as parents even as well. And as how parents. often do you get to talk to your daughter? She calls on P-Day on Mondays. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I think that's such a nice thing that um, the missionaries now get to call every week, you know, because my three sisters, they, when they went on missions, it was like old school, right? They just call on Mother's Day and Christmas and, you know, that sort of thing. And so I think that it's so beneficial for the missionaries now to, you know, connect back home once a week, you know, I think it's good for their mental health and it kind of almost gives them that fuel, I think, for the next week until, you know, they can talk to their family again. Because I think a lot of missionaries get really homesick. And so I'm, I'm glad that they have that now. So, yeah, I think it's great. When my oldest son served, it was the old school rules. They changed yeah. it. Um, when he had about six months left in his mission. Oh, so the first okay. year and a half, we just talked to him on Christmas and Mother's Day. And yeah. then for the last six months, we got to talk to him every week. So we experienced both of it. And I love being able to to connect with those missionaries every week. You feel like you're more involved in their experience. Yes. And it's, you kind of get to talk them through their challenges a little bit. Sometimes it's tricky though, because if their challenge is their companion, they always yes. have to be within earshot. And yes. so <laughs> we're yes. asking yes or no questions, you know, yes. just to try to get information. <laughs> so, it, you know, they can't always be as, unfiltered <laughs> yeah, so yeah. we do i i did still tell my kids though both all the two of them who have left since this changed yeah i told them you still have to email me every week because i want to have a written record yes <laughs> my aunt actually when my sisters would um email um she kept all the emails and then she <laughs> made this book for them so then when my sisters came home they had this this book and it was really cute because um when tanner was oh i can't remember how old he was he was he was quite little um he would have been nursery age actually because he started walking just after my youngest sister went on her mission um she made this book so that and she would send emails to my sister um from my from tanner and so it was really cute to see because she'd be you know when it was our our birthdays or something she'd say oh all these people are like so excited that it's a birthday and i don't really understand why they're making such a big deal about this like sort of from his per perspective but she'd write it to my sister on her mission and it was just like the cutest thing i thought you know just something different and unique so she has this kind of book of you know emails that my aunt wrote you know because then my aunt passed away uh, you know a few years ago and so um so it's a special treasure so that's awesome there's actually this app now that you oh. can automatically like you put they give you an email address that puts all of the emails that you write directly into their software system. And then at no the way. end of the mission, you just click a button and it just prints a book for you. And Does it include, can you include the pictures? 
Yeah, it includes the pictures. You yeah. can include your emails to them or just their emails to you. And it makes it so convenient and easy. I'm just like, I want to do this and it's so easy. I just have to click a button. Oh, that is so convenient. Yeah. <laughs> Less totally. time consuming. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't require much effort on my part, which is yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good. I think it makes life a little easier is nice, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So I have a couple more questions for you yeah, before for we sure. wrap up. And the first one is, what would you tell people who are maybe where you were at the beginning of your journey, where you're starting this unfamiliar path with, you know, medical challenges that you were not expecting? What would you tell them? Um, that is a very good question. Um, I think like for me, what I would have wanted someone to tell me is, and actually I believe my mom kind of told me this in not as much of a direct way, but, um, she just, you know, kept saying everything will work out. Right. And I would want to say to somebody who is so, sort of on the journey that I was at is that, um, you just have to trust the Lord and, um, you know, if you have to have blessings and if that's something that you feel will help, then do it and always ask questions, you know, and so that you're not left unsure. And I think for me too, like that was something that was important to me in that, um, because when your child is so little, you have to be an advocate for your child. And in order to be an advocate, you have to ask the questions and, um, and really just patience and, and faith, right? I think those are the two most important things to have. And there will be hard times. Definitely there, there will be hard times, um, but it'll all work out the way that it's supposed to in the end. So I love that. It will all work out the way that it's supposed to. Yeah. Sometimes we get an idea of how we think it should supposed to yes. be. <laughs> yes. If that yes. even made sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then that's not always the way the Lord sees that it should yeah. be. So I love that. Yeah. That's really, that's really wise advice. Okay. One final question. Yes. What does standing with the Savior mean to you? So I've really been thinking a lot about this question since you sent me the, the email and I keep coming back to, um, the young woman's theme and how, um, standing as a witness of God in all times and in all things and in all places. And I think those, those values, those principles in, in that theme, um, within those values is are so many lessons to be learned and so many ways that we can stand, um, with the savior. And to me, I think standing with the savior, um, essentially means emulating what the savior, who the savior is and what the savior wants us to do and becoming like the savior and standing up for the truth. I love it. I love it. That's so, it just really boils down to that, right? Just yeah. do the things he's asked us to do. And that's really the bottom line. And then yep. things will work out. 
things will work yep. out the way they're supposed to. The way they're supposed the way to. They're yep. supposed to. <laughs> I love that. Well, it's been so fun to talk to you, Mandy. Thank you so much for being. It's been so fun to listen and just the strength that you have gained and the joy that you have. You are a very joyful person. I can Thank see you. that. And I think that is a huge compliment given what you have gone through, you know, yes. like the fact that you can still remain joyful with all the challenges. That's what I think we all want. So yes. thank you for just emulating that and being an example of that and thank sharing you. your light with us today. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. I love sharing, you know, it, that being a mother is, is such a joy and it does have its challenges. And, but I think for, for me, at least the joys far outweigh those challenges. And, and that's what I try to focus on is the joy, you know? Well, that's, I think we could all learn from you. So <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Well, thanks for being here. It's been a joy for me <laughs> to talk to you. All right, my friends, isn't Mandy amazing? I hoped you loved her interview as much as I loved talking to her and just feeling of her light and her joy for the gospel. I also really loved learning about the service missionary program. And my husband's a bishop, and so I know that right now it's March and all of these you know, young men and women are like in a mad rush to get their mission papers in so that they can leave in the summer and get back in time for that fall semester or winter semester after their missions. And so if you have a child who's maybe thinking about serving a mission, but maybe a proselyting mission isn't right for him or her, I hope that you found the information that Mandy shared about the service missionary program helpful. I know that I did, and I just love the service missionaries who work by my house and in the temple by my house. And, and I see them all over town doing different service projects and I love it. I think that's so fabulous that they get to do that. But I love talking to Mandy. I hope you loved listening. I hope you loved listening to her episode and her story. And I would like to remind you that if you get anything out of this podcast, if you find any hope in it, any light in it, would you mind taking a mo moment and leaving a rating or review on the podcast app of your choice that would really help me out and help other people to know whether or not this podcast is right for them. So thanks again for being here, my friends, and I will see you back here again next week. Have a fantastic week until then. Thank you for spending a few minutes with me today. If you are ready to dive in deeper and join the stand movement, find me on Instagram at Lynette Shepard, that's two N's, two P's and an A-R-D, or at lynetteshepard.com. If you like what you heard today, please consider sharing the show with a friend or leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That works wonders in helping us to find the people that we can help. Thank you again. And remember, you were born to stand. See you next time.